When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today is Sunday, August 6, 2017. This is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network. And I am Larry H. Russell. The long-awaited off-season in-review broadcast is now on course to take place and being appraised by not just yours truly, but also B-Ball Breakdown's Coach Nick on episode number 221 of Celtics Beat being presented by today's sponsor, Audible. With an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more, get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial at audible.com slash Celtics Beat. A good time to reflect on what was unquestionably the busiest summer in Boston since the famed summer of 07. Not only do most of us hope the fruits will be as sweet as they were a decade ago, but dare we simply ask, Coach Nick and everyone, how much better did the Celtics even get? a really, really great question. Probably the, one of the best questions you can ask in this offseason because there's a lot of moves going on there. And, um, you know, when you add someone like Gordon Hayward, you're, you're better. Like, I would say you're better uh, with him versus Avery Bradley in the lineup in theory, although I know the defensive stuff is really important for them, especially with Isaiah Thomas. So, uh, but I think in the, in the uh, if you take enough steps back, you realize that, yes, they are better on that end. Uh, I like the Morris uh, thing, except that now they have an, an even bigger glut in the forward position. And so you suddenly give uh, Brad Stevens a lot, like you know, more of a of a puzzle to have to solve. And I would imagine the first like two months or might be a little bit wonky until he can figure it out. Oh, that's been the theme going around. Actually, I haven't had anyone, Coach Nick, Coach Nick of B-Ball Breakdown, YouTube.com/slash B-Ball Breakdown. You're the first person who said I like the Marcus Morris edition. So I please sell me on Marcus Morris. Well, you know, he's got a certain sense of, you know, toughness. He's played, uh, you know, for a few teams now and probably better understands the importance of his role and may, might not, you know, bristle at that like he might have earlier in his career. Uh, and I would have no doubt Brad Stevens can figure out how to make it work. And, I mean, it, it kind of sounds like the starting lineup is interesting to me here because if, it, if the, the team remains intact the way it is now, um, if you bring Morris off the bench – like that's a really good position for him to be in, where he can be, you know, a, a good scoring forward for you, and then you can still have guys like you know Crowder in the starting lineup and and do some damage there. How much could he fill that Kelly Olynyk role? I assume he's coming off the bench. I assume he's going to be someone who can stretch the floor. They don't have really anyone off the bench with that size that can do so on a percentage scale or on a one to ten scale. How much could he fill that role? Well, it's interesting because the Olympic thing, I was always really high really on him. Very big on him. 
That breakdown yeah. in January, man, where you demanded more minutes. We know Brad Stevens watched that video. Well, I don't know if he did, but you know, certainly people in the you know probably probably did. But nonetheless, they see he the did. same stuff I'm seeing, and in fact, I'm sure he saw it before I did. So I was probably late. But either way, um, I looked at the numbers because Olenek in the regular season actually, when he was on, was a negative point four. When he's off, the team was plus five point four. So that wasn't necessarily indicative of much. However, in the playoffs. He was a plus one, and when he was off, the team was a negative 5.3. So that, to me, showed me that there was some real value to him. He played very well in the playoffs for them and was very versatile in a way that Morris can still give you that. Uh, I don't know defensively if he can really handle um, any kind of big guy like Olenek could conceivably handle because of the he's just bigger and and you know just bigger as physically, um, but there's no question that Morris does give you a little bit more variation and a little bit more like you know maybe attack on the dribble kind of stuff that Olenek did. It's just, it's a totally different look. Bottom line, Olenek was a better passer though and was probably a better help defender. So. It's a real question. I might still say Olenek was something that they're not quite covering yet uh, with his absence. What about shooting, though? I think that's really what it comes down to. If Morris can shoot, because actually Olenek really did not shoot the ball well last year. We think of him as a good shooter. He he did not have a really great year shooting beyond the arc, but nonetheless, he did spread the floor. Is Morris going to be able to do that? I think so. I mean, I think he's a solid three-point shooter, and I think that in this offense, with the way they drive and kick and force closeouts, um, if he will accept that style – then I would anticipate him getting more open shots. And and so, yeah, I, I would think that that would be what happens, and I think he would be able to knock them down with some regularity. Again, enough to keep the defense uh, half a step closer to him than not. Okay, that's good enough to hear. Although I didn't like, I didn't really like necessarily hearing if he will accept that role. That, that is, is you just saying that as a hypothetical, or is that actually something I have to worry about, or any other stuff well, for that matter? you know, Maybe don't worry about it because Brad Stevens has a, some sort of magic elixir to do that. But, uh, you know, it's like Contavious Caldwell-Pope also played for the, uh, the the Pistons last year and for several years and was underachieving from the three-point line. And I can't figure out why because his mechanics look good and everything should be a lot better. It's a lot about shot selection. And I have a feeling that the dysfunction of the Pistons probably uh, affected that where guys were trying to, like, get their own. They weren't really playing like a team. And I feel like once KCP gets to the Lakers, and I, I, I kind of feel like the same way with Morris, once he gets to the Celtics, the shots will be different. The mindset will be different. And I would, I just simply, uh, and I'm choosing to believe at this point um, in the in the middle of summer that uh, that those percentages will rise. Bullish on Marcus Morris. I am, I am certainly surprised. But nonetheless, you were as bullish as anybody on Kelly Olynyk. You know, this last week we had our newest hire to CLNS Media, Mike Petralia, who yesterday was down at Gillette Stadium covering the Patriots for training camp. All the videos, pressers up on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash CLNS Media. Avery Bradley may be the better player than Kelly Olynyk. if you're going to have one of these giant, massive drafts where you're drafting every single player throughout the league. Avery Bradley is going to be taken by every single team possible, probably before Kelly Olenek. Nonetheless, I personally think that Kelly Olenek is going to be a bigger loss because I am not sure they are going to fill the skills, the unique skills that Olenek brought. I'm still not totally sold on Marcus Morris being able to do that. Avery Bradley, I think they're going to be able to. We're certainly going to get that part of that discussion a little later as we go on. How about, where do you, bigger loss for the Celtics, Olenek or Bradley? Uh, I, I guess I'm going to go with Olenek. I, I, I like Bradley. I should like Bradley more um, from a coaching perspective. But for some reason, um, there's just something about him. Like, you know, I know he's, he's, he's shooting really improved to the point where you cannot deny the guy is – 
as close to an elite shooter as you're going to get. And by the way, that's another reason why maybe Morris, I think, will shoot better, too, because of that progression that we saw with Bradley. Uh, he's a great defender, probably, you know, top two or three in the league on the perimeter, right? Like, I can't think of too many guys who are as good as him. Um, but undersized um, and, you know, and I can't say he doesn't come through in the, in the clutch because he did it in the, in the playoffs as well. So um, I don't know. I'm torn because you're right. The things that um, Olenek does and as, if he continues to develop and get better, now you can have a guy at the five position that could play like a three-ish and that is a lot more profound of an effect on the game than, uh, you know, a smaller two guard doing his thing. Yeah, I'll get into this a little bit later when we get into the lineups because you just mentioned how you don't know what the starting lineup is going to be, Coach. And I'm one who's very confident that Jalen Brown is going to be in it to give that component of defensive versatility. Talked about it with Trags last week. But but anyways, this is our official off-season and review show for the Celtics, one in which we can finally do in the first week of August and doing it with you, you know— Nick, you're doing your off-season grades for every team on your B-Ball Breakdown podcast, available to listeners on the CLNS Media Network mobile app. You haven't gotten to the Celts yet, so we're actually going to steal it here to accommodate our dear listeners. So, Coach Nick, grade for the Celtics for their summer of 2017. You know, you got to give them a solid, you know, I would say B for getting uh, for getting Hayward and then Morris. Uh, by the way, I like Baines, too. You know, I'm going to give him a B-plus and maybe by the end of the show, I'll be an A minus. We'll see. But uh, I, I like those moves because I think Baines. Uh, now remind me, is, is Amir Johnson still there? Gone, gone, Philadelphia. Oh, okay, right. So I like that because I just felt like Amir was not really that effective, and I feel like Baines can be can be effective in his role too as a, a guy as like the third big man off the bench. So I like what they did, but. You have to imagine, and then also drafting Tatum, uh, that whole move, which we can get into in a minute, too. Uh, you know, a lot of great moves. I just feel like we're left wanting when you realize that Paul George went to OKC for what he went for. And I know that Danny H must be scratching his head, too, because that deal they ended up making with OKC in Indiana, that deal would have been there for weeks. They didn't have to take that deal right away when they did. So it's we really know. confusing to me on a lot of uh, levels. We know. We know. But it's more an indictment on OKC, man, not the Celtics. And I would love okay. to I would love to say – but it, it, you just, I thought, brought it up. that I mean, I would love to say that it was probably the, the worst non-move or the best non-move or whatever about this offseason with the Celtics. I think we can unanimously agree on that. I would, I would love to have a segment on it. But, I mean, we can agree that probably, you know, miss, quote-unquote, missing out on Paul George, you know, just ended up having – but how about the how about the uh, draft day trade? What did you think of the draft day trade? Because that would be the only other uh, you know quote unquote worst move or potential for or maybe even best move. So what did you think of the trade on the draft day? You know it's interesting because they already had a, a kind of a full backcourt in theory with Isaiah Thomas and uh, Avery Bradley at the time uh, and, Mar- and Marcus Smart uh, and Rozier. then you know even Rozier is coming up right and so but you know it's hard to it's hard to imagine because Fultz is really going to be really good and but do they want to have a rookie point guard running the show in the midst of like competing with cleveland for the uh the I don't conference think he finals? would have been running the show this year though uh well i mean you know the show this year it would have been about right, so setting it up we, for future years maybe in the post he takes for year spot fair enough yeah. so I, I suppose what they looked at it was like you know i mean this is the kind of guy that you want to install and give him all that you know all the experience right away and get him developing quicker because he is that good and they weren't going to be able to do that, I guess, with their thinking. And so, um, and they, I guess, they're all in on IT. They're not going to trade him, and you know, which I think they should. Um, but 
So, so it makes sense to me that they would have said, okay, we can kind of get uh, some some more out of this uh, this stuff, uh, you know. And so, but the only thing that's weird is that they, you know, they add um, Tatum, and you know, I, he's now going to languish. He's probably not going to play hardly at all this year, right? Behind all these forwards, and so you never know. Uh, I didn't think Jalen Brown was going to play much last year, and they ended up just still get even when he was playing atrocious in you know around December. They were still finding a way to give him four to six minutes a night in the second quarter, and sure enough, he worked his way into the rotation. So I, I would have yeah. been so quick on that. Well, but yeah, but the, okay, so let's just pretend he's developed more. He's got that experience. He's ahead of him. So is Marcus Morris probably. So is um, uh, uh, what's-his-face um, from Marquette. Um, oh, Crowder. Oh, my God. Crowder. What? Crowder. Crowder. Crowder's ahead of him. Uh, you might. I don't know if we consider Hayward a two-guard or a, th- a three. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't know. It's, it's it just feels like there's not going to be a ton of. I mean, I'll be willing to go on the record and say he's not going to get. He won't get eight minutes a game. I don't think. Ooh, okay. All right. I, I just don't see it unless they make a move or somebody gets hurt. You know, which is always a possibility always as well. A possibility. I think he could. Uh, I think he could supplant anything that Marcus Morris does towards the end of the season. I'm a little bearish on Morris compared to to what you you know you've been thinking. But I guess yeah. That, that, right. I hate to use the political of we will have to wait and see to find out. Nonetheless, uh, we are going to have to wait and see to find out. You made an interesting point about Isaiah Thomas. That is the underlying storyline of the offseason, no question about it, in that he is going to be pretty much in the future plans for the Celtics. That was the whole thing as it, as it came down with the trade. But now that we're on this trade, so got to make a mental note, Isaiah Thomas thing that you said. But we are on the, the trade, the Hayward signing. So I asked for the worst move or the worst non-move. What was the best move? Was the best move signing Gordon Hayward? Was the best move the draft day trade? After all, what was the best move? Was the best move uh, the Marcus Morris trade, which I never know I could get from you. What was the yeah, best move uh, Celtics made? Yeah, no, I, no. I mean, listen. Obviously, I think the best move is Hayward is getting him, and they wanted him, and they wanted to reunite him with uh, Brad Stevens. Um, I mean, I, I don't think that he is the best player on a uh, on a finals team. Uh, Hayward is not. Um, but, and I think we've seen his ceiling. I think what he did last year is what he's going to do. And I think that's fine. It's a really good, you know, uh, upgrade at that position. Um, you know, but the question is, do you disrupt the, 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 the subtle chemistry they had going and they were building and, you know, it, it there are that's some, why some I players... asked you at the very beginning of this podcast, did the Celtics get better? And you said, yeah. yes. They did. I mean, they, they did on a talent standpoint. Again, we're going to pull the political. We'll have to wait and see a little bit here because, um, you know, but I, here's the thing. If it was anybody but, uh, but um, Gordon Hayward, then you might think, oh, he's going to be very disruptive or whatever. But Hayward seems to be the kind of player that's going to blend in and be able to find his spots. In, in fact, he might be uh, too deferential in the beginning. I, I can almost feel that until he says, you know what, I, I need to be more of the man, although he's going to have to deal with Isaiah. And, um, you know, what the, I don't know. It's, you know, there's so many moving parts here. Uh, but I would predict that Hayward's going to come in and average his 22 points a game and shoot, you know, pretty, pretty well from three um, and get his assists, get, you know, his three and a half assists. I think that's what we're going to get from him, which may, might be enough. Describe here, because I know you were a little burned out to do so on your YouTube channel, youtube.com slash breakdown, to actually do a Gordon Hayward in the Celtics offense breakdown visually. So the biggest challenge for you, man, is going to have to do it uh, in an audio format and create pictures for our audience who can actually <laughs> only hear you. If they want to see you, they got to go to your YouTube channel. But nonetheless, yeah. for them to hear you, you're going to have to describe 
how the Celtics will utilize Hayward in the offense and really just th- th- describe the whole offense. So what you're going to see with Hayward in the offense for the Celtics is probably what they're going to probably just plug him into what the Avery Bradley role was. And you're going to see a lot of sort of driving kick and maybe some early offense or some handoffs or maybe a quick uh, pick and roll on top to get the defense moving. Uh, and that's really what is similar to what the Jazz did. So I feel like Hayward will be very comfortable uh, jumping into this offense. Uh, I do hope that they're going to give him some more post-ups as well uh, because he'll probably have some size advantages on some of the players that are guarding him. And also, uh, I have to imagine you're going to find uh, Hayward driving more and generating more free throws than Avery Bradley. Uh, and I think that's going to be the difference. And in fact, if he embraces that the man role more um, and being that number one option or, you know, maybe if Isaiah Thomas is out, then you'll see him driving even more to, and have like a career high in, in free, uh, free throw attempts. And that'll all really help the Celtics offense. Um, and the only question left is, is what happens down the stretch in the end? They already have the guy they need in Isaiah Thomas in theory. And as him as a second guy in that setting, uh, I think would really help them. And he could be that guy that can knock down, um, you know, tough shots uh, in pressure situations as a second guy. So, you know, I- I'm intrigued. And I think that they'll eventually they'll, they'll work it out. It might take a little bit of time, but uh, eventually they're going to be a, a dangerous club and down the stretch. Episode number 221 of Celtics Beat is being presented by Audible. Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. One book I would suggest is from CLNS Media's very own and frequent guest on Celtics Beat, the legendary Bob Ryan. Get Mr. Ryan's memoirs, scribe my life in sports, immerse yourself in the well-versed sporting world over an iconic journalistic career that spanned nearly 50 years here in the hub and for your loyal listenership to clns media audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership just go to audible.com slash celtics beat and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs download a title free and start listening it's that easy go to audible.com slash celtics beat that's audible.com slash celtics beat and get started today so more Brad Stevens experimentation. And to the to the expense of perhaps some wins and losses, wouldn't you say? Well, it played out last year and the season before that and the season before that, so that's kind of a safe prediction. <laughs> yeah, right. And, that, and you know what? It, it, it worked out okay. They made the conference finals. They got a game. Uh, they now improved. So, you know, the, the process is working for me. Well, they've improved every, as a team every year under Brad Stevens. So that's been a trend. Uh, it's going to be tough this year to meet that accomplishment. I mean, that that's north of 55 wins in the NBA Finals now. Uh, if, if we have time, I can ask that later. But but one thing on our agenda, Coach, and we're back here on Celtics Beat with CLNS Media contributor B-Ball Breakdown's Coach Nick. Made a mental note on this podcast out loud to save it. You got subtle shots in at Isaiah Thomas, so I figure now is the time. Am I laying it on a tee for you by asking which Celtic is most likely to regress this coming season? I mean, one would think the easy choice would be Al Horford, but I don't know. Is it IT? I mean, my first instinct would be at Horford. I've been really down on Horford for the last year anyway, and it might be irrational. Um, and let's just make it clear. You know, Isaiah Thomas, I was the first guy on the Isaiah Thomas bandwagon. You were okay? the first I loved him. ever. Yeah, and, and you like, put yourself I, out there the most as well. You, yeah, you wouldn't believe how much. I mean, I had people like trying to look into me to discredit me personally because of that video I did about Isaiah versus Kyrie after their rookie years. So um, I love Isaiah. I know him. He's a great guy. Uh, it's 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 enthralling to watch him play. I mean, really, is amazing what he's done. So I don't want to I don't want to you know rain on that parade at all. Um, I do feel like. 
there might be some limit there as far as, you know, the bottom line is the defensive side is just they're, they're really – they struggle with him in there even though he's uplifted them enough to get him to where they needed to go on a lot of those games. So um, I don't know. It just felt like, you know, they probably could have gotten a lot for him. And if they would have gotten Fultz and you plug him in and develop him, you know, quickly – then, then, man, it seems like they're ready to take the step for championship level. Uh, and I, I, but I, you know, is that what I'm saying? I guess what I'm saying is, is Isaiah Thomas a starter on a title team? I, I don't. I guess a I'm starter. I'm, I, I think he could be a starter. Can he? Can he start on a championship team? Yeah, of course he could. Okay. Well, I guess that's where I'm, I'm hedging at this point right now, and so we'll have to we'll have to see. So I, I just I don't know. I'm looking in long term. It, it is no. Listen, it is the story of the offseason. That trade the Celtics made. Prior to draft night, when they passed on Markel Fultz, because I personally thought I thought it was a slam dunk that they were going to be able to bring Markel Fultz in here and almost play. I don't know. This is a, a bad example, but you sort of get my drift. Aaron Rodgers behind Brett Favre for a little bit, let him, right. uh, you know, and, and be able to do that. Then that way, in you know, coming years, you let Isaiah Thomas go. You don't want to pay him. What we all think is a little questionable. We pay him a, a pretty sufficient max salary for what's going to be years north of thirty. Yet right. that trade, it wasn't just, oh, we thought Jason Tatum was the best player available. That trade in itself was, yeah, we believe in Isaiah Thomas down the line. I'm skeptical of that. I know you're very skeptical of that. You said that the Celtics should explore trading or should trade them. Yeah, well, Which I mean, I was the guy who said they, they needed to trade McHale uh, when, they, you know, when they, they, they didn't do that, and they should have. Oh, I remember uh, when you said that. You know, and so it's like, you know, it's a business and it's terrible. I know it. And, you know, he's a hero and I, you never want to do that. That's why they didn't trade McHale or anybody. But this is also a business. If you're looking, you know, you got to you got to be able to keep going and have your, your you know, the team keeps playing after these guys are done playing. And it was, it was a good opportunity from a general manager standpoint to to get the most value you'll ever get for him ever. And they, you know, they decided not to do that. They're going to ride it out, and that's fine. Um, you know, hip injuries also make me very, yeah, very I, I nervous. Was gonna, I was, that had me right on the agenda. How do you think he's going to come back from that? Especially since he didn't have surgery. So, we're, you know what? You have to remind me because I can't remember exactly what the hip injury was. It was in the playoffs against Washington. Are yeah. Are asking me for anatomy? No, I don't think Was so. it like a torn labrum? or I don't remember what they said. Or just, just, just a general hip thing? I do not recall. I'm going to have played, to bump your gums, and I'm going to have to Google it. We, we, um, we, uh, he played through it, right? For, yes, he uh, got hurt against Washington. That is what I do know. And then, and, and then, he, then a couple games against Cleveland, it didn't really work out. Right. And so, um, so that was, you know, concerning to me because, you know, a lot of times those hip injuries, you know, yeah, they, they, it's, it feels okay for a little bit. And then you realize, oh my God, I can't, this is, it's too excruciating. So, um, that is a real interesting issue. Um, and that's something you have to watch out for because it can linger. It could cause the hip could actually be back and it could be, you know, presenting itself as a hip injury. So that said, I, I have the feeling that the um, Celtics have a pretty good medical staff, so they'll be able they to keep it up. Well, they just, they just basically what? cleaned house there. They did. Okay. Yes. Well, there, there's, there's some serious red flags, age and hip and all those things. So, um, you know. I don't know. I'm worried because he's not like he needs that. He needs every ounce of his, you know, uh, water bug movement uh, to to succeed. And uh, a couple inches here or there, those shots get blocked. You know, he doesn't get them over the big guy. And uh, and then all of a sudden they, they have a problem. Well, you're correct, though. He had a labral tear. He suffered it in early March. I knew it was very evident against uh, Washington in the playoffs. And you'll have to help me with femoral, femoral, 
Oh boy, I'm really going to just destroy what little credibility I have left on this podcast trying to pronounce this. Femoral ectolabar impingement? Yes. So that's what I had. I actually, that's, oh. and that's sort of why I know what this is. And okay, I've had two surgeries on it. Uh, you know what? And I never got back to my <laughs> to my my original all-star status. Um, but, uh, you know, when you're young enough there, and I had it young. I had the surgery when I was like 37 and recovered pretty well. But uh, it's brutal and it's tough. The first surgery didn't work. I had to have a, a different kind of surgery the second time. Um, but it also send, it tends to indicate uh, structural issues that are you can't escape. You know, it's just the beginning of the end of arthritis. Yeah, and how does it like, like posture and, 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 and compensate how you let alone walk but even run? Right, exactly. It's mechanics. And it's hard to change mechanics at this age. We saw Steph Curry do that with his ankles. And uh, by the way, out of all that, uh, the way he changed the way he moved, he became, uh, you know, probably the best point guard of all time. Um, And so, you know, that's a great story. And that could happen as well. But you got to you got to really get out there and be uh, aware of, of mechanics and all that stuff. That's like, you know, next level stuff that a lot of NBA teams sort of are in touch with. But uh, we'll have to see whether or not that's going to take and if they have him on that kind of program. Yeah, it's not good. I've always been very skittish of him north of 30, largely because many small guards, such as Isaiah Thomas, the real one, Allen Iverson, really Uh-oh. do not have a great career after the age of 30. I mean, once you mean, the biggest thing that Isaiah, this Isaiah has going for him really is his speed. And if you start losing a shred of agility, a speed... That's it. That's all the difference in the world of getting to the basket and getting around a defender and getting a shot over a defender or not. Uh, right. So. And the way he does it, by the way, is he gets into the body of the guy. So he does take a pounding. Uh, and that's not it's not surprising that, like, you know, those are the kind of injuries you get in the hips because you're leveraging your um, your speed and weight into the body and then kind of uh, taking the contact and finishing. It might not even get the foul, but he's but that that threat of the contact there ends up getting the uh, opening he needs. And so, uh, you know, it's not great. I wish him the best and I really hope that he recovers 100 percent. But you're right. It's a, it's a lot of red, red flags right now. Isaiah, most likely to regress, but still most likely an all-star. Same as Al Horford. Yeah. He could regress, but I think at a at a slow rate, and he's going to be able to do, especially now that it looks like, I mean, I think even he is resigned to being a center uh, next year, which I think is going right. to be very beneficial to him and to the Celtics. Well, look at it this way. And Isaiah averaged 29 points a game last year. The next the highest was Avery Bradley at 16.3. I can guarantee you that Gordon Hayward's going to average more points more shots. Well, who's going to give those shots up? I would imagine Isaiah would end up having to give up some of those shots, and that would then indicate that he'd go down to, you know, probably 25 a game, 24. But you're right. If he's at 25 and, you know, six assists and, you know, three rebounds, like, you know, that's probably – he still would be a really – he probably would feel robbed if he didn't make the All-Star game. Internal improvements from the team. Feels like the only candidate really is Jalen Brown, just by default. Yeah. I guess you could go deep and say, well, Terry Rozier. I'll throw one real wild card at you. You said he is what he is earlier in the podcast. I'm not sure. This man's made improvements every single year, just like Avery Bradley, except at an even more substantial level. Gordon Hayward has gotten better every single year he's been in the league, but most likely to make uh, internal improvements. 
Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I think I like um, I like Rozier uh, as a possible guy. You know, like I was watching Patrick McCaw in the summer league for the Warriors, and he has made like a 200% jump uh, in that brief time. And I can only imagine that you know that Rozier should get more uh, you know confidence coming out of that last season. And, and there were signs. That's the other thing. You saw little bits and pieces of that. But yeah, I would think that Jalen Brown. Yeah, I, I would be shocked if he started. I don't know why I'd be shocked. He just feels like I wasn't I wasn't okay. on my radar. Yeah. I I, I want to ask you right now on the dime then why you would be shocked he would start. You know, they were you ten know, and one I, with him in the starting lineup last year. Oh, they were okay. That's a good stat. Um, I mean. In January, if, in January, when uh, Avery Bradley initially went out with an injury, they played very well. Effectively. Yeah. Yeah, they were, yeah. Sorry. And by the way, and you're right. And you know what? He's got a very mature game for a young guy, which is which always was uh, something that made me really excited about him. So, yeah, I mean, listen, maybe they say, okay, we're going to give you the keys, and, and we're going to start the season off with you, and you know, we'll see how it goes. If it, if it ends up being a problem, they, I'm sure Stevens wouldn't hesitate to change things up, but. Um, I, I like that idea, and certainly the the options they have out of that defensively. The defense, uh, that's what I was going to get to you. Because if you have that lineup, and I'm interrupting you because that's what I do very, very well. You have a lineup, well, not with Isaiah, but okay. Isaiah, Jalen at the two, Gordon, Gordon Hayward, Jay Crowder up front, Al Horford. I feel like that you put that lineup out there, they're playing a sufficient amount of time together. I think Boston's defense is far more apt to return to form that we were accustomed to in 2015 and 2016. A lot more length, a lot more versatility, and also uh, Horford back at back at center, which is I think very important as well. Right. No, I I like that. I, I mean, yeah, I, I like going small with Crowder at the power forward. I I, I think he he is that prototypical power forward we're going to see going forward anyway. Um, and by the way, he might be a guy who makes a little bit of a jump. You never know. Like maybe with with um, uh, Hayward in there, taking some pressure off of people and making some more space. You know, sometimes it's the guys that, you know, that he'll get some more open shots maybe. And he already proved that he shot really well from three during the regular season. So, you know what, Crowder could be that guy that makes another jump too. Maybe, you know, and is able to get some more rebounds and stuff like that too. So um, it's really, really intriguing. And they have a lot of different possibilities now. Because if that's a starting lineup and you have a nice little bench coming off the, uh, off the bench as well. And, um, there, and, and again, as far as I can tell, they're solidified as the number two team in the East. Uh, I don't think that, you know, Toronto is – ultimately going to make it. And then we have to see Washington did absolutely nothing in the offseason when they had they were the only other team that had any chance to make a significant jump, and they completely just punted. Yeah, even did you see the ESPN projections that came out? Our man Kevin Pelton, good friend. I should have I, – I, I was almost going to say I should have had Kevin Pelton on this show over you, Coach Nick, because he was – he does a – KP does a really good job of getting in the news in August. It's incredible. Uh, he <laughs> put out the projections about the Celtics with 49 wins, yet that being good enough for the one seed. Uh, I thought that was like just like wow. It wasn't just the forty nine wins that was a wow because I made a point here with Trags last week, which actually Pelton said that was a a part of the reason which came well the Celts came out of forty nine wins was you know their point differential last year was like I think like two point six or two point four or something like that, which was not very good. And it was something I remember I I said on your uh, B ball breakdown podcast on the CLNS Media Network mobile app when I was on your show back in January, I kept saying like. Yeah, this team is due for regression of the means. This team's due for regression of the means. They're they're due for regression of the means. They keep winning all these close games, and they just kept winning freaking close games all the way through till the first week of June in the Eastern Conference Finals. KP was saying, you know, that that could find that could come back uh, to bite them a little bit next year. But so, what did you make if, if you saw well, it at all? Well, listen, I love Kevin Pelton, and you know, I, yeah. I like to think I'm infinitely more interesting and exciting, right? But. Um, 
However, I don't see how you can possibly uh, base any prediction on this year from last year's team because it's so radically different now when you have Hayward in the lineup. It doesn't, you know what I mean? It just, it, and you're missing some other guys. So nothing from last year would really indicate to me how you'd be able to predict that accurately. I, I could see him plugging in PER and all kind of stuff to figure out, you know, with the current team. But man, if he's using anything from last year, then that's probably, I would disagree vehemently with that. I want to go back a little bit on predictions because we were talking about internal improvements you were talking about starting lineup predictions do you have if you've looked it all over do you have any interesting five-man units the Celts could use let alone be in the starting lineup or something popular you know off the bench in the second quarter because you just said that you really like Boston's potential bench if they went with Thomas Brown uh, Hayward Crowder Horford yeah if you thought if you give that one shred of thought whatsoever coach yeah, I mean, I'm thinking you could do some really fun stuff um, where you, I mean, you can go really. It's usually when you go small, right? That's when yeah. you kind of figure out. Yeah, I hate you know, the so big lineup that people would throw on. Oh, Bain to the center, Horford at the four. That that would be not good in my opinion. Or Zizi at the five or whatever. Well, let me say this because I do feel like there is, you know, people are like, oh, you can't play two traditional big men at the same time anymore. And I, I kind of disagree with that. I mean, I never like to have anyone tell me never of anything. But, um, you know, the, then the question is, OK, if you want to go really small, then then who do you have at center? Right. That can really do that. And they don't really have anybody else besides Marcus Horford Morris, and right? Baines. What's that? Mark, um, Marcus, yeah, like Marcus Morris would be that like. Yeah, that would be fives, you know. Yeah, it would be insane. Like, yeah, that's what you would need because, like, yeah, when you see like even Kevin Durant at center, like that's really when it's fun. Um, And they don't have a guy like that, uh, as far as I can tell. So you're right. You know, if you want to do it, yeah, you run out Marcus Morris at center, but then you can go big in the backcourt. You can go like uh, Hayward and um, and like even like Jalen Brown in the backcourt, something crazy like that, right? Marcus Smart. Yeah, you know, I, Marcus. Yeah, or Marcus Smart, but he's not big, right? I mean, he's small. Well, right. he's six four, but he's. I mean, he's strong enough to guard folk. You is know, he, power I forward. I want to stand next to him. Is he a legit six four? Uh, he's listed. We don't know, uh, right? That's him. Uh, was a legit, just like Isaiah I, I Thomas see. is really five seven, not five nine. Right, right. I mean, yeah, I I did an interview with Isaiah Thomas, and I'm six feet. You could see that there, whatever he's listed as, wrong. But I, you know, Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier. I want to see them stand next to each other because I think that they're probably the same height, but. Either way, uh, but you know why not? Why not go huge in the backcourt with like yeah, with Jalen Brown and like Gordon Hayward, and then go tiny with Marcus Morris at center, and then you throw out there, you know, hell, then you could do like Jay Crowder and Marcus Smart that way. That's even weirder. But uh, I don't know. That would be fun. I, I doubt that ever would happen. But um, that's the kind of stuff I like: big backcourts and I like small centers. So that's what I'm looking at. Duly passed along to Brad Stevens. He uh, sincerely takes your words and your visuals very seriously, as we saw in January. <laughs> um, this is my favorite. I did this last week. Really shouldn't have been on the off-season interview show. By the way, we are, what, uh, 35 minutes into this? Have you raised your grade yet, or is it still at B+. You started at B, went to B+, plus in five seconds. You said net. Uh, yeah, I'm, no, I'm still So give B+. me the final one now. B plus. One in red ink. B plus. Okay. This is the fun question I love. I, I had Mike Petralia here last week, as we mentioned, on episode 220 of Celtics B. And we did a schedule predictions because I don't know why I love having, you know, you know, doing some fun with predicting the schedule. He brought up a very good point when he said that he expects the Celtics to play the Cavs on Christmas Day, largely because 
the NBA doesn't really want to stack the deck with one really game that's worth that's really worth watching to the casual NBA fan on Christmas. Spread you know spread the love around a little bit. Maybe sell its Cavs. Uh, have Golden State play the Spurs. Golden State play the Rockets. That'd be very interesting. And then he had Celtics Sixers on opening night, which I thought was very pragmatic in its own right. I am make it official. I am Celtics Cavs in the opener. Celtics Lakers is the back end of that quintuple header on Christmas. Give me your little Celtics predictions. Opener and Christmas. I guess we don't really care about anything else. Right. You know, I, I, it's interesting because the Christmas Day thing is where I went first. And I thought, you know, if they're going to try and spread the love around and not do, you know, Cavs Warriors, then, yeah, it kind of makes sense to do Cavs Celtics. Although I still feel like they might end up doing, you know, Celtics Lakers as a throwback. Yeah, although that, that doesn't even mean anything any, to anybody anymore, it feels like at this point. Uh, but the Lakers actually might be a surprising team. Um, the Sixers are also really intriguing, and that does sound like a certain, you know, they, I, I feel like they want to start the season with guys with, uh, without teams traveling too far, um, and that kind of makes sense, too, with the Celtics and the Sixers. And by the way, Philly should be a team that everybody in the East is, fra- is, is, is frightened of. I mean, th- they have the potential to be a re- really good team very quickly. Really um, good team? So that means playoff team automatically, not to turn this into Sixers yeah. beat and to steal everything from yeah. Eric Bodger, but... And remember, you you can look at the historic – right, and the historical jump. Like, oh, no team has ever gone from like whatever 20 wins to 40. But 1980 Celtics. But they added Larry Bird. But they tanked. Didn't they tank the year before? No, they were just just terrible. They were terrible in 78 and terrible in 79. And that rookie Larry Bird showed up and they won 60. I I wouldn't have put it past Red Arbach to to tank without knowing what he was doing. Like, they didn't have a name for it. But at any rate, those were terrible teams back then. Those late 70s Celtics were dark. They knew about Larry Bird ahead of time. And they drafted him. Remember, they drafted him early before before he came out. So I could – once they drafted Bird that year before, they knew they were going to tank because they weren't getting a good player that, that year. They had to wait. So I don't know. And that by the way, that led to the whole, you know, everything else, the steal of uh, McHale and um, Parrish. But nonetheless, so where were we? We're talking about um, the Sixers uh, the being Sixers. a playoff team next year. Yeah. So because of their artificially low record, uh, them getting to normal respectability where they should be, uh, it would, would might break historical norms. So it wouldn't be surprising to me. Um, but, uh, so yeah, I can go, I think that makes the most sense to me right now is, you know, like, you know, cause I, the Knicks, otherwise like, it's the Celtics Knicks or something like that, like to try and revive that kind of notion. But I like that idea that uh, the Philly and the Celtics to start. And then I'm thinking Lakers Celtics uh, Christmas day. Okay. All right. So you stole each one from each of us. Yes. Little, it is August and we went a little bit down the line with some historical, you doing any, uh, histo- history runs there on b-ball breakdown in August as we get closer somewhat to training camp. It is the dog days after all. Oh, it is. It is. And, you know, I'm, here's what I'm going to do right now today. Maybe I'll reach it tomorrow is, uh, I want to do a video entitled is Isaiah Thomas better than Allen Iverson. We've had that discussion. Yeah. I said and last I like- year that his, his season last year was better than AI's 01 MVP year. Yeah, I mean, because I, I, I have to kind of try and dive into some actual game footage to see, uh, to remind myself of Iverson's defensive prowess or lack thereof, uh, to see if there's any comparison there. But yeah, I mean, uh, the the season that Isaiah Thomas had last year, man, um, yeah, uh, probably eclipses whatever you know. Uh, there's no, there was a 30 point a game. You know, there was a couple of those in, in Iverson's career too, but uh, it was on much lower. Um, per, um, uh, field goal percentage, right? Yes, like 39, 41%. He was always in and around that area.
Apologies for the microphone issues. We've got some static there. Luckily, the computer input served in the emergency situation. That could have really gone awry. So I hope it was of service, our conversation with Coach Nick. Because uh, there it was, the capper on the Celtics offseason. You know, I pushed it off as far as I humanly could. Not by choice, actually. I was going to do it here uh, two weeks ago. But uh, we were told uh, there were a few things going on, a few things still to happen. And uh, boom, Celtics signed Shane Larkin to a guaranteed contract creating a new potential and riveting storyline for the all-important final roster spot heading into training camp. One storyline is going to dominate the Celtics blogosphere and internet communities come September. Oh, we eagerly await. And, of course, the other move, or moves made around then, that pertaining to the medical staff. I just wanted to say that uh, I'm very happy that everyone in the local media is conveniently on board after the fact, uh, with some of the calls that were made around here a numerous times over the last four years on this particular podcast. Thank you. There was no reason for me to harp on it. Uh, if I had to applaud one move besides the Hayward signing, that was it. But yes, I, I'm, I'm right now I'm very, very happy those in the local media, uh, the local terrestrial media specifically, have, have come around at this opportune time. We were happy to be of service your grass-fed organic steak while you're at it, too, by the way. Nonetheless, that was Coach Nick of B-Ball Breakdown. Follow and converse with the man on Twitter at B-Ball Breakdown, youtube.com slash B-Ball Breakdown. And, of course, listen to him on the CLNS Media Network mobile app, the B-Ball Breakdown podcast. Before we go, do want to pass along a plug that pertains to yours truly. Tomorrow on the CLNS Media mobile app, I will be hosting a show not on the Celtics not on sports. First off, we want to officially welcome the Emerson College Polling Society. Many of you who followed last year's U.S. elections are very familiar with ECPS uh, as being one of the most accurate polls in the political field. So tomorrow, that being Monday, August 7th, I will be hosting the Emerson College Polling Weekly Podcast tomorrow, that is. I'll be talking to noted polling expert Professor Spencer Kimball previewing the Republican primary for Jeff Sessions' U.S. Senate seat in Alabama. The fate of the country is at stake. So do tune in, if for no other reason, to hear me, I guess. So, we'll cap the Boston Celtics 2017 off-season in-review extravaganza on episode number 221 of Celtics Beat on that. Today's show was presented by Audible. If you want to listen to it, Audible has it with an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio titles, news, comedy, and more. You'll find what you're looking for. Get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial today by signing up at audible.com slash Celticsbeat. All one word, Celticsbeat. Music for today's show was provided by Chuck Dietz and Steph Legrato. For graphic designer Scott Dillon, the founder of the network, Nick Gelso. This is Larry A. Trussell, the executive producer and host, signing off for Celticsbeat, powered by CLNS Media. <laughs>